Thank you very much, Katrina, for welcoming us into church with some lovely piano music, and welcome to our Sunday service. Lovely to have you here at Manifield on this Sunday. We're going to begin with a call to worship that's a little bit of fun. In the blue corner, weighing in at 300 pounds, the mighty, the chiseled, the heavyweight champion of the Philistines, the superhuman, powerful warrior from Gath, it's Goliath! Yes, I've been on holiday for a week. <laughs> and in the red corner, it's the young pretender, the even featherweight, the unknown, he of beautiful appearance, the shepherd boy of Bethlehem, it's David. An unfair contest, an unfair fight. Yet with God, strange things happen. Who God chooses is up to God. And when God makes a choice, the person that God chooses always has a chance. In fact, God's outcome is required, is needed. As God's chosen people, let us today worship God. Let us remain alert. Let us be ready for what God needs of us, for the outcome he intends for us. I guess it's true to say that we can't be good at everything. Sometimes, of course, it feels like we're good at nothing. Do you ever have those days? But let's be optimistic and positive that we're good at some things. And, you know, thinking of for everybody, really, you know, sometimes it's easy when we're asked to do something that we know we're good at. So, say you were, well, let's say Andy Murray, we're coming to Wimbledon season, and, and, and say somebody asked Andy Murray to kind of, uh, can you show us how to play tennis? Andy Murray, no problem, this is how you play tennis. Now, I don't know what Andy Murray is like, you're plumbing, or um, fixing some wiring issues at home, um, but maybe if you ask Andy Murray to kind of sort out that, he would... Oh, I don't know how to do it. Now, I'm not going to be personal about this. I'm not going to share the things that I think I'm good at and the, thing, the things I'm not so good at. But you know what we're meaning here. To be asked to do something that you have a bit of degree of confidence in is a far easier, ta far easier task than it is somebody coming along and asking you to do something that makes you uncomfortable. Well, as you guess, we're going to meet David in our story today. And David is a shepherd boy. We sometimes think 
that this is an unfair fight. Small David against big Goliath. Conqueror, hero of the Philistine army. But when you think about it, one thing that David was good at was protecting his sheep. And one thing he, he, he was good at using was a slingshot, not a catapult, but something that he could whirl around with a, a stone and release at the moment and direct his stone to where it needed to go in order to protect the sheep from other animals or bandits or whatever. So as we listen to the story in a moment, remember David might have had more confidence than we actually think going into this battle. David, the confidence of using something that he knew how to use. Even before we go into the greater depth of this story, I think from this starting point, there is a lesson for us to learn. When God chooses us for something, and when the the message is, is getting quite clearly delivered to us that God is asking us to do something. Then remember that God has given us the tools to do that, to do what he's asking us to do. And maybe we need to develop a greater confidence, not only to listen to God and be directed by God, but to then follow that guidance and that invitation, knowing actually we have a tool and we can be confident that actually we can do a job for God. Let's, let's now listen to the story. Um, just absorb the story. It's quite a long um, section. It's from 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 32 to 49. David said to Saul, let no one's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. Saul said to David, You're not able to go against the Philistine to fight him. You're just a boy, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and whenever a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went after it and struck it down, rescuing the lamb from its mouth. And if it turned against me, I would catch it by the jaw, strike it down, and kill it. Your servant has killed both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, since he has defied the armies of the living God. David said, The Lord who saved me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will save me from the hand of this Philistine. So Saul said to David, Go. And may the Lord be with you. Saul clothed David with armor. He put on a bronze helmet on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. David strapped Saul's sword over the armor and he tried in vain to walk for he was not used to it. Then David said to Saul, I cannot walk with this on for I'm not, I'm not used to it. So David removed them. Then he took off his staff in his hand and he, cho he chose five smooth stones from the wadi and he put them in his shepherd's bag in his pouch. His sling was in his hand and he drew near to the Philistine. The Philistine came on and drew near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. 
And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. The Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the wild animals of the field. But David said to the Philistine, You come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of the hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This very day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give you the dead bodies of the Philistine army this very day and give them to the birds of the air and to the wild animals of the earth so that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not save by sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine drew nearer to meet David, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, slung it, and struck the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank deep into his forehead, and he fell face to the ground. Amen, and may God bless to us this reading of his word. Are you enjoying the Euros? Yes, good. I wonder if, uh, well, I wonder what today's Euros matchup might be in terms of a David and Goliath contest. A scan of the wall chart fixture list that's on my uh, door in the kitchen. And yes, I am just a boy and I like to fill it in with all the scores daily. It tells me that Wales and Italy face off tonight. Now, there was a day when one of the most well-used cliches in sport would have aptly described this game. A David and Goliath contest. But I guess we now know that Wales have gotten quite a lot better in the last 10, 12 years, and Italy are not the formidable football nation that they once were, although they're doing well in this tournament. So maybe we won't hear the commentator saying, and it's David versus Goliath. This cliche has been used repeatedly over the decades as an apt metaphor for those occasions in life when the underdog is pitted against the better resourced foe or rival. Or even sometimes just as a comparison between two individuals or two groups. It may be used in sport, but it also could be used in industry, business, often used in lawsuits, in the comparison between one group, one race, one nation of people compared to another. It's also used in personal life as we face up to the challenges of life, the enormous giants that sometimes we face. Might be sickness, might be family breakups, 
financial disasters. For some people, it might be addictions. And they're able to kind of describe this as feeling like David facing up to the Goliath. The story of David and Goliath is one that we use often in church to inspire us, to remind us that God makes it possible for us, even if we're the underdog, even if we feel like we're the underdog, to do something. We feel with God we have the strength and the spirit to do something against the harsher elements of life. It's inspirational, this story. And I'm sure that at some point, we've all used the story to take comfort or to take heart. But have you ever thought that there is a way to look at this story that's maybe fresh and an alternative way of looking at it. Author Malcolm Gladwell invites us to ponder it through the lenses of a different set of glasses. And this might be an interesting exercise for us today. Specifically, if we're thinking about how our church, the Church of Scotland, nationally across the country and locally in Aberdeen or our part of Aberdeen, how the church might fit in to this story. You see, most often we see ourselves as David. Faithful David, servant David, servant of God, blessed by God, up against the Philistines that can stand for so much that is misdirected, misplaced, misused in terms of power, corruption, injustice, faithlessness, lovelessness, sometimes a dangerous secularization that we see in society or the world. We see ourselves as a church, as the David, up against that enemy. But what if we've under, misunderstood the whole narrative? What if the metaphor of the underdog is not as straightforward as the church being David? Might we see David not just as a skinny wee shepherd boy who's raw and underwhelming, out of his depth in battle, and by far and away the underdog in this fight. This is not a naive shepherd boy who just happened to have a wee toy catapult in his back pocket and a couple of stones. The slingshot was not a catapult, but it was quite a sophisticated weapon of war. Two leather strings and a pouch the pouch containing a pebble swung around the head time after time and then let go just at the exact instant when it needs to be let go of in order for the stone to fly at speed across the air and hit its target square in the forehead, right between the eyes. 
Much like the archers of medieval warfare, the slingers that we might call them, they were sometimes a key part of winning a battle. Goliath, on the other hand, was heavy infantry. He was a mighty warrior. But there's something quite lumbering about the picture created in the story. This giant of the ancient Near East. David, light on his feet. He's nimble. He can move fast. He can jink around. He's young. He's energetic. I dare say he's quite creative. Goliath is static, lumbering. His weaponry might be useful in close combat, but useless, really, when we think about it, against the accuracy and the speed and the lightness and the fast movement of David. When you think about the confrontation this way, it was actually unlikely that David was ever going to lose. Goliath was a sitting duck. David is coming towards him, clearly not about to engage in hand-to-hand combat, but Goliath didn't see it that way. Nor was Goliath dressed in a manner that would allow him to avoid David's stones. His lack of mobility was a fatal weakness. Not only was he led onto the battlefield because of his size, his cumbersome size, some some suggest that maybe his size was due to excessive growth hormone. And there is a, a study that suggests that if that was the case, then Another effect of the excessive growth hormone is poor sight. So maybe Goliath needed to be led on to the battlefield because of poor sight. It's conjecture, of course, but what we are creating is the vision of the story that suggests Goliath was always at a disadvantage. David had the initiative, the likely winner, fast, loose, energetic, flexible, modern is it not the case and you know where I'm going with this already I suppose that the church feels now more like Goliath than David slow of movement rather cumbersome needing lead lacking vision finding it difficult to respond when new ideas are thrown at it. Up against that fast-changing modern society that's lean and fresh with organizations that are adaptable and flexible. And our church, a national church, a traditional church, sometimes looks at other churches, and, and they seem leaner and fresher and, and, and more quick to respond and, and more able to grow. And maybe we wonder, is it the systems? Is it the traditions? Is it the fact that we are becoming on the center for direction that is making us so slow? Having been a commissioner at the General Assembly a few weeks ago, And I know the Kirk Session have heard my report, and yesterday the the Presbytery of Aberdeen and Shetland heard my report and my my sense of, of that General Assembly. I can identify with the thought that the National Church just now, 
is appearing more like Goliath than David. Now, the Aberdeen Shetland contingent at the assembly was very much playing as a team during the week. And our background chat suggests that if there was an award for the presbytery that were the most outspoken and the, the, the biggest problem to the central church, then we would have won hands down. It was a very technical assembly. There was not much rallying of the masses going on. And perhaps that's understandable that it was technical because aware of the challenges that the church is facing, the reduced income, the need to reduce ministries, the need to offload excessive buildings, our falling and aging membership, the roadmap for navigating us through this challenge undoubtedly needs good management good steerage from the centre. Of course it does. However, what left us as Aberdeen and Shetland deeply frustrated was the top-down institutional feel of this Assembly Week. Because it altogether suggested a lack of innovation. There was something blocking good energy in the week. And if that's an example, if that week's an example of where the church is at just now, then the block of energy is something that we desperately need to do something about. And so one takeaway from my week was that the, or is that the national church it's not exactly fleet of foot just now. It is showing itself to be cumbersome, slow to move with the times, to be flexible in our approach. Against that backdrop, wouldn't you agree with me when I say that I would prefer to be David and not Goliath? Now, as you know, I'm not a pessimist by nature. I'm a motherable fan. Of course, I'm always optimistic. And as a minister, I see it my desperate need not to send you out of the door today going, oh, well, we may as well give up. You know, I never like to do that. It's not my role as a minister to make you so depressed that you think, oh, my goodness, there is nothing we can do about it. I need to find a way to somehow engender hope and positivity and to be reliant on God's Spirit leading me and leading the church to a confidence in ourselves and a knowledge of what we need to do in the times. What the Church of Scotland nationally and particularly, and I know Amy will agree with me here, locally in our cluster group of churches, what it has as its greatest asset is people. It's not our systems. It's not our acts of assembly. It's not our ecclesiastical laws that will give us the greatest chance of moving with the times and being more adaptive and ready to meet the challenges of the day. 
is simply the resolve, the spirit, the talent, and the faithfulness of you and me, the people of the church. Ministers, elders, church members, all of us have been called by God. All of us have a vocation to be part of God's movement in the world today. We're called to a time and to a place, to a situation and to a challenge. And we're given the opportunity and the responsibility by God to serve him. But he has given us the stones in our pocket to meet the challenge. The story of David and Goliath today becomes an invitation that challenges us as a church to let go of what binds us and slows us and to find instead innovative, fresh, creative and more appropriate ways to respond to the times in the world we live in. Now Martin Fair, the outgoing moderator, was terrific in his address, as was um, the, the, the Prince William. I was going to say the Prince of Wales. He's not that yet, is he? He's, he's Prince William. Um, who, who, who was actually quite inspirational in his message. But Martin Fair reminded us that we cannot afford to rest from the labour that God seeks from us. We are called to serve and to change the world. It will take the letting go of old things that do not work and the adjustments to things that are not working very well and the boldness to take up new ways. There are five marks to the mission of the church that have been adopted. Proclaim the good news of the kingdom. Teach, baptize, and nurture new believers. Respond to human need by loving service. Seek to transform unjust structures of society. Challenge violence of every kind. Pursue peace and reconciliation. Strive to safeguard the integrity of creation and sustain and renew the life of the earth. Our task in the coming years is to work out how best to do that. So as I look ahead, as I prepare myself for a summer, as I look to a Kirk Session conference in August, I need to play my part as you need to play your part in working out how we become more like David. Resourceful, fleet of foot, flexible and adaptive. May we be like David feeling that with God we can win. May we be like David, increasingly more faithful to God in our service of him. Amen. Loving God, we praise you. We worship and adore you. You hold your loved ones in your hand, and your peace blows over all the earth. 
You satisfy all with your abundance, and our hearts bow at your presence today. Thank you for adopting us as your children, and for the prayer that allows us to pray our Father. We hold up especially fathers this day. We pray for blessing and your grace over each one. Help them to walk closely with you and feel, fill their hearts with unconditional love, compassion, joy, and faithfulness, just as the love you show us, your children. We pray for the mission and ministry of your church universal and here in our community. Direct us in our care for each other and creation and help us to use our resources wisely. Today, Church of Scotland recognizes Sanctuary Sunday or Refugee Day. We pray for situations facing refugees and for the loss that they experience of the land they call home sometimes even losing their lives. We uphold our Christian commitment to welcome the stranger, to see our common humanity created in the image of God, each and all deserving of dignity and worth. We offer prayer for peace and justice in the world, Many are the nations, communities, and families that are suffering from division, heartache, and hurt. Help humanity to show your loving kindness in the world and to offer forgiveness, building trust in relationships. We pray for our elected officials and leaders in government making the decisions that affect many. And we ask that they remember the small and the needy and serve as servants to those. Caring God, we know people who are hurting from illness, who are feeling their bodies are letting them down. We pray for individuals who are undergoing treatment for cancer and other chronic diseases and for the persons caring for them. We ask for healing and wholeness and your comfort upon those who are suffering and those who are missing loved ones. We bring our particular joys and concerns to you in a moment of silence. God of peace, give us the tools we need and the strength to be witnesses of suffering, of witnesses to the suffering world. Fill us with the fire of your spirit to renew our efforts to serve those in need and give us the grace to welcome, to learn about, and to share our lives with people who come into our communities. 
O God, our defender, when storms rage about us and cause us to be afraid, rescue your people from despair. Deliver your sons and daughters from fear and preserve us from all unbelief. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive those who forget us. And lead us for God's and the glory. Amen. Our final hymn this morning is Praise, I Will Praise You, Lord. Please join us now. from this place in peace to serve God and may the blessing of God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit rest and remain with you and all whom you love today and forevermore. Amen.